0: Hi there and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jamae's Fine Foods. I'm Vicki Newen and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120 and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. So today I get to chat to the very lovely Dr. Denise Furness, who is a mother of two, an award-winning medical researcher, an international speaker and author. She has a PhD in genetics and is a nutritionist and fitness professional. As a CSIRO-trained molecular geneticist, Dr. Denise Furness specializes in nutritional genomics and epigenetics, and she believes there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to diet and lifestyle. Denise helps people identify triggers and underlying causes of their health challenges so they can live a more balanced and fulfilling life. I'm super interested in learning more about genetics and understanding how we can influence genetic expression through diet and lifestyle. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Denise. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and to chat with you today. Excellent. How how do you want me to address you? What do people call you? Dr. Furness or Dr. Denise or Denise or... You can just call me Denise. (laughs) Here in Australia, everyone's very relaxed. I'm not
1: sure if this podcast how international it goes, but here in Australia, we're all very relaxed. In America, though, everyone calls me Dr. Finesse. It's very formal. I'm not going to say
0: I uh, don't <laughs> like it. it, it oops, missing <laughs> me. It's, there. it's good, for, good for the ego, but you can just call me Denise. Awesome. You're amazing. So, I actually was introduced to you, Denise, through um, Denise from Geray Health, another Denise. And, um, yes, over in Hong Kong. Yes, who distributes our beautiful products over there. So so that was a great introduction. And when I saw your profile, I was just blown away by what you do. So thank you in advance for your time today. And I'm just really excited to hear what you have got to say and a little bit understand a little bit more about your backstory and how you landed here where you are.
1: Mm, well, it feels like it's a long story, but I'll try to tell you in the shortest way possible because I know there's so many things we want to cover today, but... I started life as a scientist, as you mentioned, a molecular geneticist, and actually I was focused more on virology when I first started, and I used to investigate paramexoviruses, so not coronavirus, but a different species of virus, and I would look at how genetic variations or changes within the DNA of that virus would allow it to jump from an animal to a human. So very similar to coronaviruses, but a different species. Yeah. So I did that for a few years, absolutely loved it, worked at CSIRO in Geelong, the animal health labs. It's a pretty amazing facility. For those that don't know much about PC4 labs, it's like you're on the moon, you go through airlocks and it's all, it's a pretty amazing place. Um, But after a few years, my work led me to animal work and I actually wasn't okay with that. Initially, I just worked in a molecular biology lab, so doing lots of sequencing, lots of genetics, bioinformatics, not doing any experiments with animals, but eventually um, I did actually start doing some stuff with animals, and I just couldn't live with myself. I'm just not that kind of person, even though I know it's the greater good, so I started looking around at other areas, as we do, when we change careers, and start to question who we are and what we want, and I learned about this amazing field um, called nutrigenomics, which was pretty early days back then. That was close to 20 years ago. And yeah, I learned about nutrigenomics. It was 2003, actually, I started working in that area. And was like, wow, there's this area where you can learn about your DNA and your genetics, these variations, and how you you know, might need more B12 or more vitamin D, or you might be more susceptible to a chronic disease. So I moved into that world, was lucky enough to get a PhD scholarship, then did a postdoctoral fellowship as well, so nearly 10 years in that space, and really focused on pregnancy health, actually. So looking at the DNA, looking at the genes, looking at the diet, all that stuff in relation to late pregnancy complications, as well as miscarriage and fertility. Um, and then from there, I ended up moving into private practice. And a lot of that was because you know I have that drive, I wanted to have my own business, and Expand, but also I wasn't happy anymore. I didn't realise I had an underlying autoimmune disease. It's pretty pretty hard to be happy when you've actually when you're not well. But some, again, I sort of got that stirring and thought, I'm not happy. I need to look around. Plus, everyone I spoke to, family and friends, wanted their DNA tested. And I I will tell you, in the early days, I used to sneak people into the lab and we would do some <laughs> testing, but. As as time time went on, and when you're working at a hospital, it's 24-7, you can't be sneaking people in to do some testing. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get out there into the world and offer this as a service. People can get their own DNA tested, talk about diet, lifestyle, how to optimize their health so that they can live a long, which I know suits you, a long, healthy life. Uh, And I've always been involved with an organisation called ACNAM, the Australian College of Nutrition and Environmental Medicine, and I got up and did a presentation at the conference, and I said to them, at the end of my um, keynote presentation, I'm thinking of leaving academia and research and moving into private practice, what do you think of this? And that was integrated GPs and health practitioners, and little did I know People were already doing nutrigenomics and testing, you know, DNA and, you know, when you're stuck in your bubble, in a research bubble in hospitals and universities and government institutions, you don't realise that people are actually onto this stuff and doing it um, out. So, um, I was invited to work at a medical practice in Melbourne. I moved back to Melbourne, my hometown. I was in Adelaide and started working at Your Health with some integrative doctors there and it all kicked off from there and 10 years later, I'm now... Doing this here on my own and loving it. Well, I have my own little team
0: now, but yes, that's, that's my amazing. that's my story. How I got here. <laughs> that's amazing. And tell us about because you experienced, um, like you said earlier, you've you've had an autoimmune disease yourself. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, so I didn't realise at the time that something was as seriously wrong as it was, and I started experiencing palpitations. I lost a little bit of weight. And of course, as most females or human beings, I was like, oh, that's cool, a couple of kilos. Usually I have to work hard for it in the sense of I do manage my weight, but I actually take good care of what I eat and I exercise. And I thought, oh, I'm a bit tired. I'm not really going to the gym and weight's down, but the palpitations were definitely not right. I went to the doctor and they said, oh, it's probably just stress. And they said, your blood pressure's up. And I do have a genetic tendency to have high blood pressure. That's always been an underlying issue. So I. Didn't pay too much attention there. I thought, oh, well, I'll just have to get my fitness back in check. And long story short, um, I ended up developing Graves' disease and it wasn't picked up until quite late. I did actually get pregnant and it was about 27 weeks. So I almost lost the baby and I was very thin. I had constant tremors. My eyes were popping out. I now even realized from some photos that um, a slight goiter. Like I was a textbook wow. case. I don't know how I didn't. Pick it up, but the reality is, I think when you are so sick, and I'd actually stopped working altogether because I was struggling to get out of bed. I would throw up, and then I'd lose control of my bowels. When you're when you're hyperthyroid with Graves, like everything's ramped up, everything goes through you very quickly, and I became very sensitive to foods and smells, and felt like I was constantly hungover and. Um, Yeah, and I thought it – I mean, I didn't think it was the pregnancy, but unfortunately none of the doctors I was seeing at the time really listened and kept saying, oh, you're just one of those people that's, you know, really sick. And it happens to some people. And I was like, yeah, I think if anyone felt like this, people would not have babies. Like we would die out as species. Exactly. Um, Yeah, and then when I was diagnosed, I was basically thyrotoxic, so – Wow. Went on really high-dose medication, was in hospital for a few weeks, and thankfully my little boy's okay. Um, but, yeah, it was scary times, and I should never, honestly, without, you know, no blame on anyone, but I should never have gotten that sick. It's almost it's unbelievable that it was left that long, but, um on the other On the other hand, you know it's taught me a lot of lessons, It's helped me be a better practitioner and also led to me sort of being in this world of integrative medicine. Yes. Um, obviously, I have a genetic predisposition around autoimmune disease and thyroid. But I'd also been a person who just pushed myself to the max. Mm. You know, like yes. I I lived life hard. I studied hard. I played hard. I worked hard, um, and really burnt myself out. And despite thinking I was very healthy. I look back now and probably realize, you know, there were times where I really probably wasn't even eating enough for the amount of training. I did a lot of overexercising, things like that. So, yeah. uh, It's
0: like your body's wisdom telling you to
1: stop. Yeah, Yes, and I didn't listen. I didn't listen, Vicky. I probably had lots of warning signs, and this is how I practice now with my patients because so many other women have these things, but didn't listen to a lot of the warning signs. And then when I got sick... As I said, I felt pregnant, um, and then everything was sort of put down to the pregnancy. But by that stage, I was wiped out. someone who'd almost defined themselves by their career, like I had to stop working. I wasn't able to function, really. I didn't want to see anyone or do anything. I was really unwell for a long time.
0: Wow. And so is Graves' disease, so is that the other word for hyperthyroidism?
1: Yes. So hyper, which means everything is ramped up. So there's hyper. Hypo, which is actually more common. Hypo is low. That's when you put on weight. You're tired. You're sluggish. You're cold. Hyper. You're hot. You're sweaty. You're anxious. You know. You've got this sort of tremor. And then Graves' disease is when the hyperthyroidism is triggered by autoantibodies. So you could be hyperthyroid from some other, you know, driver. Um, or it can be due to immune dysfunction or autoimmune disease and that's grave. So if you've got the antibodies triggering your thyroid, mm. that's grave disease.
0: Okay. And it, did the pregnancy exacerbate that or could it be brought on by pregnancy as well? Interestingly, pregnancy is generally a time where autoimmune diseases are dampened a little
1: because okay. the body wants to protect the baby. Yeah. Um, it's there. There's it's most, some people that experience let's say rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune disorders tend to get a little bit of relief. And actually in the first trimester, I didn't feel too bad in the pregnancy. It was, I'd actually had quite a few symptoms leading up to it, which I thought were stress and I'd left my job and was, you know, trying to to rest and do a few things, but didn't really understand how sick I was. And then as I got pregnant, which sort of confused things, but by about 20 weeks, um, I really thought I was dying. I, I so I um, so I think for a little while the beginning of the pregnancy things were maybe a little dampened. But then it really, really flared and I was um, really struggling.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I, um, I'm i interested in this because my sister-in-law actually had hypothyroidism as well post-birth of her second child and it got so bad that she had to have her thyroid gland removed. Um, and then since then, yeah, I, I was wondering and actually she was wondering as well, does that now deem her as hypo once you've had your thyroid removed?
1: So she fits into a bit more of the typical category in that after pregnancy or after menopause, it's really common to develop a thyroid disorder. And we don't completely know why, but we think it's linked to the fluctuating hormones. Okay. So it's very common to get it after pregnancy or after menopause. And uh, women are much more likely to develop thyroid autoimmune disease. So she developed it after pregnancy. I don't know whether she had graves or was just hyper. Unfortunately, the doctors will tell you the way to deal with it is to have your thyroid removed. So I was told that. Yes. I was told if I didn't, I was told I had aggressive graves. If I did not remove my thyroid, I wouldn't have more children. I would die early, Left the endocrinologist in tears. Yeah. Um, But despite that, I didn't go down that route. So I've recovered. Amazing. Um, I did have a flare after my second daughter, but no surprise. I was traveling internationally with a baby thinking I was superwoman because that's how I'm primed, you know, like I, I want to be. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I want to be the best mom and the best <laughs> business owner and look the best. And I'm like, you know, my baby's six months and I look amazing. Look yep. at me going. It's like, oh, my God, I'm crushing again. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a little flare and the same thing. They said, we've got to remove your thyroid. I said, just give me some space. It did actually take me about 18 months, though, the second time to recover, and I had to pull back again with work and all sorts of things, which is hard when you love your business yes. um, and, you know, love what you do. But, yeah, it is It is the, the mainstream, the conventional model to remove the thyroid, and the reason they do that is because you can give thyroxine which is the thyroid hormone. Mm. So doctors, and I've had some friendly doctors, actually had a lovely GP who tried to deliver the information to me in the most friendly way possible and said, don't worry, it's very common, we can give you this medication, you'll be fine, we know how to treat it. You know, it's, it's not a big deal, it's really common. However, the way my brain works is I go, well... You say it's not a big deal, but I've got a disease or I've got something wrong and you want to remove an organ, I want to find out why. And I yes. think with the conventional medicine, there's none of the why. It's like I can treat you with a medication and I'm not bagging conventional medicine. It kept me alive. I my, was able to maintain my pregnancy and have my little boy. But there's, there's not that let's stop and reassess what's going on in your life or why your body is screaming at you that something's wrong um, so, obviously, your sister in law has had her thyroid removed. We can't change that. So, she will need to stay on. Did she have a partial thyroidectomy or a full thyroidectomy? I'm so, is sure it was all full. of it gone? Or yes. It I'm pretty sure it was full. Yeah. So, she will always now be reliant on medication, so yes. thyroxine T4. And if her levels are maintained, then she won't be hypothyroid. So, she would have blood tests done regularly. Um, and, and that's okay you know, for anyone listening if you've had your thyroid removed the last thing you want to do is feel guilt or shame with that you do what you believe at the time is the best thing for you but just know if you're listening to this and perhaps you know someone who's considering it having a medication really cannot replace what your body is doing your thyroid is exactly. extremely dynamic yes. exactly the levels are going up and down we're responding to our environment So even though you might be told, hey, we can fix this, we can take out your thyroid because we've got medication that mimics the thyroid hormone, it's not as simple as that. And sometimes people do have issues down the track, particularly around fertility Mm -hmm. or just managing metabolic things, weight, mood, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, So your sister... Should not, or sister-in-law should not be hypothyroid if they've got the right dose of medication. But my advice is if you haven't done it already, I'm not saying don't do it all together, but at least try to make some changes in your lifestyle because I want everyone listening to know it is definitely possible to recover from autoimmune diseases, even though you are all told, and I was, you know, you won't recover once you've got the diagnosis, you'll have it forever. The reality is you don't necessarily cure it, but you can go into remission and then you just need to take better care of yourself, which which actually is a blessing. Yes. It's good to take care of yourself. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And I know that you know all about that. And actually that's how you and I have connected because I am very proactive with my health and use a lot of your products. And As I said, (laughs) yeah. And and I think the, the reason we're doing this is because one of my, colleagues or Denise that we're both friends with, another Denise, uh, saw me do a talk and there's photos of me with one of your breakfast smoothies. I'm making up a smoothie and she said, I know that brand. And I said, oh, actually, you're the one who introduced it to me. I said, you gave me the turmeric latte. She's like, ah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, taking care of ourselves, thinking about the food we put in our body because your food can literally heal you or make you sick.
0: Absolutely. And on that, is it true that by eating mushrooms, you can regrow your thyroid? I know I've read something a long time ago about this. Do you know anything wow. about that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. But I remember at the time when um, Catherine had hers removed, I remember we both looked into it and were trying to help her naturally. And um, yeah, and I remember reading somewhere that you can regrow it by eating, I don't know if it was a certain type of mushroom or just lots of mushrooms. And I don't know how true that is, but yeah, I was wondering about that. Oh, I love that. So yeah. you're teaching me something I've
1: never heard of <laughs> but I do know one person in the US. She's not my patient, but she's a patient of another practitioner that I um am friends with and one of her patients, her thyroid, grew back naturally. Now we don't know why, mm, but wow. it came back and she actually came to, you know, the functional medicine doctor and said, oh, I've got a problem you know, my, my thyroid, uh, you know, hormones are going high again. The doctors now realize my thyroid's growing back. I'll have to get another thyroidectomy. And she said, no, we don't. Yeah, she said, you exactly. don't have to jump to that. She said, let's reduce your medication. And now she had actually been working with this functional medicine practitioner for a while. So her health was much better. Wow. So again, just reinforcing the conventional medicine, which I do think is there to save your life and can be very useful for us but may not be. If you're thinking about healthy ageing, and I'm pretty certain your listeners are wanting to feel good for a very long time, reduce risk of chronic disease, you want to be looking at other avenues first because once you've had one autoimmune disease, if you don't deal with that and get to the underlying triggers the chances of getting another autoimmune disease and chronic condition are much higher. Mm. So you want to do everything you can to try to work out what those underlying issues are. And if you've had your thyroid removed, the, I've heard of one case where it's grown back and yeah. I don't know if mushrooms are involved, but I'm going to reach out to her. Yeah. Her name Andrea. She's over in the US. I'm going to be like, she actually is a herbalist as well, this particular functional medicine doctor. So if if there is something with mushrooms, I'm pretty sure she'll know. So I'll get back to you if we can find some evidence for that because I'm also keen to find
0: out. But how crazy that the body can regrow it. Like that's insane, isn't it? Yeah, I was shocked when I heard it. But at the same time, I was shocked
1: but not in a way. You know, I think when you really – dive deep into this world you realize how amazing the body can be and I'm cautious when I say that because I did work quite a while in an integrated medical practice in Melbourne and occasionally still now with very sick people and that can feel harsh to someone who is trying their best to get well and you say the body's amazing you know people can feel really disheartened by that but I'm not saying it to you know, give people a hard time if they're not getting better, but just remember it because I also think there's a level of hope that's important yes. too when you are feeling deflated and you think, Oh, why is my body fighting me? What have I done wrong? And when you're in that that state of victim mode, negativity, you know, fear, anger, it's very, very difficult to heal as well. You exactly. you need to be in a certain you need to be in
0: a certain place. allow your body to heal and repair. Absolutely. And actually, that reminds me of a podcast we did last week, even um, Dr. Lottie was saying the same thing, the the impact of words on the cells, you know, it means a lot. So, Mm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I want to take it right back, just so that people kind of get a real grasp of what genes are. So, can you just give us a, a simple, I guess, explanation of what are genes?
1: Yeah. So, you inherit your DNA, which genes are made from. Your DNA comes from your parents. And basically genes are little sections of DNA that code for proteins. Okay. They are the instructions that make you who you are. So they code for your eye color, your height. They obviously affect your appearance, but they also affect the ability to transport nutrients to create vitamin D from UV from the sun. So all of these proteins, they can be structural for bones and muscle or enzymes to break down food. But the genes are the instructions. So they're like the blueprint to make Mm. you who
0: you are. Interesting. And what about, um, I mean, obviously genetic modification, we touched on that earlier, you and I, but yeah, what about like people who want to genetically modify their babies to ensure that they have, you know, that they don't, um, you know, certain diseases are avoided or um, for whatever reason? Is that something that is, are you seeing more and more of that or more requests for that or is that just something that we don't do in Australia?
1: So we don't do it to that level, but I guess it is something that is touched on, but not really genetic modifications in the sense that because I do work in women's health, ranging from you know preconception fertility right through to sort of healthy ageing um, in, in older adults. But there are people that I guess are wanting to optimize their health through understanding their genetic predispositions, their mm. susceptibility, so naturally. So I wouldn't say genetically modified as in you have had an egg or a sperm removed and they are literally doing something to that DNA code and then implanting it back in. That would be true genetic modification. Yes. Yeah, um, And that isn't allowed here in Australia. Actually. Um, and actually even genetically modified food, well, genetically modified food you, there is not much happening here in Australia, but you're not allowed to sell, you know, genetically yes. modified food in Australia. It can be used as an ingredient at a very low level, um, but it can't be sold here in Australia.
0: That's good to know. That is good. Mm. We just don't know the long-term impacts, do we? Yet. Yeah, and I think um, when it comes to genetically modified foods
1: and this whole area, as much as I'm a geneticist and I love the knowledge and we have the power to do these things, the truth is we we don't know the long-term effects, as you mentioned. And even though we know a lot, we don't know everything. Yes. And to start playing with this, when you think it's taken hundreds and thousands of years for us to evolve with our environment, yes. we need to be living more in harmony from nature. And I think what happens is humans forget that we are so closely linked to our environment, to the Mm. ocean, to the water, to the earth. And the more we remove ourselves, the more we do these things, I feel that the sicker we're going to get because we actually need to sort of reconnect with our environment you know, not being indoors all the time, which mind mind you, I am indoors most of the time working, but um, you know, getting outside, yeah, you know, being grounded. Studies have shown just being in nature can reduce blood pressure, can reduce, you know, stress hormones, improve neurotransmitters that affect mood and depression. You know, we are we are part of the world around us. And I think the more we go down those realms and, and and routes of genetically modifying things, we're just moving more and more away from nature. And I don't think that is good for any of us long term, exactly. particularly from the chronic, chronic disease and a mental health perspective, because we know that those things are just increasing and increasing, you yes. know, when it comes to chronic disease, yep. our conventional methods aren't working in the sense that, you know, people are going on medications or they're doing what they're told, but they're not feeling any better.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And what about epigenetics?
1: Yeah, so epigenetics is a little bit different. So, when we talk about genetics or genes, we're talking about the DNA that codes for genes, which are the instructions for proteins. So, this is, you know, physically those DNA bases. When we talk about epigenetics, We're not talking about the DNA code or the genes that are coded by that DNA. Epi actually means in Greek, on top of. Ah. So epi, these are things that sit on top of our DNA code and they regulate gene expression. So the turning on and off of genes and food, and actually many of the products you have, Vicky, yes. would work epigenetically. So they're coming in and they are literally talking, interacting with our DNA, with our genes, and then promoting either an anti-inflammatory effect or helping with detoxification or acting as antioxidants. So yes. epigenetics is influenced by our environment, by our food by chemicals and toxins, by our level of exercise, stress, sleep, all of these things. And that's where we get into the environmental parts because we know we can influence our gene expression through our lifestyle and through our diet.
0: Amazing. Which brings me to the next question. So what about DNA damage? What causes that and 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 can we reverse the biological clock through like you said diet, nutrition, exercise, all those obvious those you know the lifestyle factors?
1: I'm so glad you asked about DNA damage because when I moved out of virology and into this world of nutrigenomics and looking at how our DNA is impacted by nutrients and foods, I also worked in the area of DNA damage and I used to look at DNA damage markers in blood, in basically the lymphocyte cells. So DNA damage is something that accumulates as we age. Okay. And as it accumulates and we get more, it's actually linked with aging. So if you've got more DNA damage... It's likely that you will not only look older, as in having more wrinkles, but also physically you'll be starting to deteriorate. Functionally, things will be getting harder. Your cells, your organs, you know, your body mm. isn't, isn't working as well because there is literally damage to that DNA. Remember, that- the DNA is the instructions. Yes. Is that when the telomeres shorten? Is that what happens? Yeah, so telomere shortening is one form. So DNA damage basically is the cause of all the hallmarks of ageing and telomeres shortening is one of those hallmarks of ageing. So our cells become kind of dormant. Um, Our telomeres shorten, which is to do with uh, the cells replicating because basically our cells are replicating all the time. When you think of something like our skin cells, they're replicating quite quickly or even your liver, you know, over a year that could be all new cells. So, our yes. cells are replicating. But once you've got lots of DNA damage, that replication can stop. Mm. So, you start having you have more damaged cells, or you start to get what's known as apoptosis or necrosis, like cell death. So, yes. things aren't working as well. You're not healing as well. You're not repairing. You're not rejuvenating. So, we all, we all, you know, exposed to things that cause DNA damage every day, and that's normal, you know, UV radiation, metabolic processes. But then there are other things like smoking cigarettes or excessive alcohol or exposure to, you know, harmful chemicals and toxins, things like that would cause a lot of DNA damage. Mm-hmm. But even normal day to day processes produce a little bit. But if your body is healthy and functioning as it should because you've got all the nutrients you need, so what I didn't mention before with DNA and genes, even though they're the instructions to make the proteins, to work properly, those proteins, that whether they act as an enzyme or a receptor or a structural protein, whatever it may be in the body, they rely on nutrients, things okay. like cofactors, which are zinc, minerals, um, antioxidants work with our genes as well. So if you've got all these nutrients in, you're actually giving your body the, the ingredients To help it repair. Mm. So even if you're getting DNA damage, which is normal, we all we're exposed to things. You want to be putting all the good things in, so that the body can repair that DNA, Mm. and that you're not accumulating a large amount. Because if you're either exposed to lots of things that are triggering it, or you're not putting in the ingredients and the necessities to help repair that DNA damage, that will actually accelerate aging.
0: Yes, understand. We see it we see it amongst our friends like even my husband he's he's Vietnamese so he's genetically blessed I guess <laughs> in a sense because yeah. they don't really age that that you know they age beautifully. But even in comparison to friends his age there's such a difference and and it, I mean is it diet is it lifestyle it's probably a whole combination of those factors but um yeah I guess you know that old saying you are what you eat and you know it shows down the track it just you can see it like whether they've had you know they've had too much alcohol or whatever in their lives, like it just ends up showing further down the track in in their physical appearance. That's what I've noticed anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree. And particularly when I'm in my 40s now, approaching my mid-40s, it's starting to become obvious who takes care of themselves and who doesn't. The important thing to note with DNA damage though is you can reduce it. Mm. And you know, you mentioned about the biological clock. So, you know, a high amount of DNA damage can accelerate ageing. But if you then, even if you have a relatively high level, you can actually reduce it. If you start putting back in the nutrients, for example, one area that I really focused on in the early days of my research was methylation, which is involved in sort of epigenetics, but it's basically driven by, folate and B vitamins. So you're looking at that folate, B vitamin metabolic pathway. Mm -hmm. So folate's needed to provide the building blocks to make DNA and for DNA repair. So if someone's folate deficient, they will have high levels of DNA damage. It's going to affect their cell replication, things like that. As soon as you put that folate back in, Mm -hmm. the body actually starts doing what it should. So when you bring these nutrients back in, so your green leafy vegetables or, you know, Folate's actually found in tons of foods from yes. citrus, avocado. If people are eating whole food, yep. you generally should be getting Enough. you know folate, but not everyone's yep. eating a lot of whole food. Exactly. So you can actually reduce DNA damage. Obviously, there's a threshold if you get to a point that you really haven't taken care of your body. The longer you've done that, the harder it is to turn things around, but... You know, I'd say to anyone at any age, there's, you've got nothing to lose by starting to put all the good things in I because can't. it will stop the progression at least. Even if you can't get back to perhaps what you wanted in yes. your 30s, 40s, or 50s, if you are older, and I tend to be working with quite a few older people. Um, adults now because people are really interested in that healthy aging and they're starting to realize how much they can do to improve their health.
0: Yes. You know, through diet, through through lifestyle. Exactly. It's key. What about, I know there's a lot of people who um, use HGH to reverse mm-hmm. aging. I mean, obviously that's yes. not great because that would impact the endocrine system, right? Mm. Yeah, I try to stick with the basics. You know, yes. sleep
1: is fundamental. Yep. So many people have issues with sleep, which then affects their stress, their mood, the foods they choose, how they show up in life. So I I try to start with all the basics. So let's go with sleep, with stress, mm. with diet. Yep. I do use supplements. I do use what I call superfoods and products like what you have, like trying to get as many nutrients in as possible, Yes, but also not overdoing it with the calories. Now, I'm not one to count calories at all, but the reality is when it comes to reversing the biological clock or healthy aging, one of the best things you can do and the most studied research thing you can do is reduce your caloric intake. Mm, so do yeah. not overeat. The issue with reducing Calories or your energy intake is that to get the benefit of healthy aging, you need to ensure that you are not uh, nutrient deprived and yes. that you're not malnourished. So if you're if you're malnourished, yeah. meaning that you've got deficiencies or low levels in you know particular nutrients, whether it's macro or micro, if you're malnourished and then you try to do calorie restri- restriction, that ultimately is going to lead to serious fatigue. It will affect your immune system. You know you can get very sick. But if you've got plenty of nutrients and you're not overdoing it with the calories, which lots of processed foods are really high in calories but not so much nutrients, so getting back again to whole foods and superfoods and things like that, that can be – I think one of the best things people can do just to start feeling energised again and clear-headed and, you know, drop a few kilos if they need to.
0: Exactly. It's amazing. So what about if we inherit genes like associated with a particular disease? It doesn't obviously mean that we're necessarily going to get that disease, but how do we, I guess, avoid that? Is that, again, through diet and lifestyle? Like, especially with, like, BRCA1, if you've got, like, if someone in the family passed away of breast cancer and you've got that gene, like, what happens, how do we prevent that as, you know, instead of getting um, a double mastectomy, like, what what can people do, I guess, naturally?
1: Mm. So when it comes to DNA testing and nutrigenomics, I'm generally focused on things that aren't so... Um, closely linked with disease like BRCA1, but it's a really good question because the reality is it is, it is, it's a bit of a grey area in that it's not necessarily what I do, nutrigenomics, it's classed as clinical genetics, but it doesn't actually cause disease. Often in clinical genetics, which is when you get genetic testing to see if you've got a disease. Some genes, it doesn't matter about diet or lifestyle, for example with cystic fibrosis mm. or Huntington's disease. Okay. You've got I that see. regardless of your environment. With BRCA1, it's kind of a bit of a gray area in that it really does increase risk of breast and ovarian cancer extremely high. These yes. people are at high risk. However, it's not the cause. We just talked about DNA damage. Yes. These BRCA genes actually are DNA repair enzymes. That's what they are. Oh. So what they are is DNA repair enzymes and people, some people inherit variations, what we call mutations in this case because they are causing a mutation and possibly disease. Yep. So they inherit these changes that mean they don't repair DNA efficiently mm-hmm. and that can lead to a buildup of DNA damage and DNA damage is actually a cause of cancer. So when right. the cells start replicating um, when they shouldn't be. So to avoid getting ovarian and breast cancer or to sort of compensate for BRCA1, you want to make sure that you're doing what you can to reduce DNA damage, which in all honesty is not that hard yes. in the sense of lifestyle and making sure you're not exposed to you know, harmful chemicals and toxins. We're all exposed to some, but our bodies can actually tolerate some. It's not like we have to live in a sterile environment. We're equipped to deal with um, some. The issue is in today's, you know, world, we're often exposed to a lot if people are using skincare products and moisturisers and foods that have got chemicals and sprayed and all those kind of things. But you can make day-to-day choices to reduce your your exposure to these potentially harmful things. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing with breast and ovarian cancer is these are also driven by... You know, um, sort of reactive estrogens. You know, estrogen, even though it's a normal hormone, yep. it can become reactive. So when we think about antioxidants, yes, they are basically helping reduce oxidative stress or compounds that are reactive that have that it can cause damage. So estrogen can actually become reactive and cause DNA damage itself. Um, it turns into these mm. sort of. Catechol estrogens, and then into these. Um, oh, sorry, before the catechols, that's to reduce them. Um, they're quinones is what I'm trying to say. These okay. estrogens that go into quinones, and they're very, very reactive. So they are linked with the you know breast breast cancer, particularly. So if you can ensure that your estrogen is being metabolised through the body properly, and that's encouraged through having good liver health good gut Mm. health, a good diet, cruciferous vegetables actually have compounds in them that push estrogens down a healthy pathway. Mm. So I say to most people think about having cruciferous vegetables daily, whether that's cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, whatever it may be, you know, a lot of those um, Asian greens are crucifers. So they actually have compounds in them. When we talk about epigenetics, cruciferous vegetables have got things that actually turn on detoxification enzymes, reduce oxidative stress, help us get rid of harmful reactive compounds. Mm -hmm. So even though someone might have a risk, you can say, well, if your liver's working, your gut's working because there are certain bacteria in the gut that help um, eliminate estrogens as well. And you don't have, you can measure estrogen levels and look at metabolites. You know, we can look at all those things and go, you know what, you're fine. And if you continue to live this lifestyle, you are significantly reducing your risk to help compensate for those genes.
0: Yeah, interesting. And so would that be the same for um, what else we're looking at? So chemical sensitivity, for example, dementia, things like that as well? Is it the same as long as you've got a good functioning, healthy liver and you're doing all the right things nutritionally? Is that the best way to avoid switching on that genetic predisposition? Yes. Exactly.
1: And I do a lot with dementia and Alzheimer's. So I do have the gene that increases risk for Alzheimer's and dementia. That's the APOE4. Um, And my mum actually developed early onset dementia. So it's an area that I am quite focused on. And um, you can do a lot. So when we look at Alzheimer's and dementia and the risk factors there, a bit like cancers as well, but there are other environmental or lifestyle risk factors like being obese, Mm. having high blood pressure, being a smoker. So um, depression actually increases risk of Alzheimer's, dementia. So there are all these sort of lifestyle factors. And even if you've inherited the gene like I have, what I do is I manage all of those to my best ability without stressing out too much. I manage all of these other factors. I don't smoke. I'm not obese. Try my best to manage my stress you know, my blood pressure is under control despite being genetically, you know, prone to that. Um, I have plenty of omega-3, so that's shown to help with reducing risk of Alzheimer's dementia. Also, Mediterranean diet, not that I, not that I ever call diets Mediterranean or not, but that's where most of the research lies, and that's mm. really just having lots and lots of coloured fruits and veggies, lots of colours, lots of antioxidants. Um, so you can, it's the same thing. It's, it's looking at what genes you've got, And going, all right, this is what I've inherited. I've got some good things, some maybe not so good things. What can I now do to ensure that I am doing everything I can to prevent this from actually resulting in a disease or, you know, something that's going to affect my, you know, particularly as we age, you know, my my life later on.
0: Exactly. So you talk about genetics, environmental factors and immune dysfunction when it comes to like autoimmune disease, for example. Mm, Yes, very much so. When you talk about immune dysfunction, what are you relating to there? So immune dysfunction,
1: you know, often we're thinking about autoimmune disease. So for some reason, the immune system starts attacking its own cells. So there could be a bit of an exacerbated immune response or the immune system is confused and, as I said, starts attacking gluten or attacking the thyroid. Generally, there is um, a genetic predisposition, though. Someone won't become celiac unless they have the HLA, DQ 2.2 or 2.8. So you still have to have the gene, but then there is something that triggers that immune dysfunction. Now, that could be, it's usually lots of things, um, but it may be that there was a virus like Epsom bar or something that's sort of low lying, that's just continually triggering the immune system. Plus you've got the genetics and then maybe you were low in vitamin D and vitamin A, which are needed to regulate the immune system or like me back in my day, you're an over-exerciser or you're living a high stress life. And mm-hmm. that is continually pushing out cortisol, which is continually triggering your oh. immune system. Cause your immune system is like, Oh my God, I'm not safe. Yes. Something's going on in the world. They don't know that you're just, trying to be, like, the fittest person in the world because you think that's amazing. (laughs) They're like, I'm running for my life here, you know, and that cortisol is primed, to. so they're all connected. So, Mm. you know, constantly switching on that immune system and then people, um, you know, can develop autoimmune diseases. Or you can go the other way too where there is reduced immune function in the sense that I do see a lot of people that have low white blood cells. So your white blood cells are what is involved in defending you against viruses, yes. bacteria, things like that. And when people are uh, often see in chronic fatigue or in people that are really nutrient deprived or they have had a low-lying infection or something like that, kind of when the body's really tired and exhausted, it's worn out and they've just got low levels of their white blood cells. So they're just not able to defend themselves as well as they could. And these people are much more susceptible to... Um, infections yeah. and things like that.
0: Wow. Interesting. So is there a test? I was at, um, had a party over the weekend and there was a lady there that as a side hobby, she breeds dogs. And she was telling me that um, her dogs are DNA clear. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me more. And she said, well, it's a test that you can do just to, to you know, determine if the state of your dog's health. So when you're breathing them, you know, you can, um, I guess, claim that your dogs are DNA clear so you can yield a, a higher price. I'm like, oh, wow. I wonder if we can do that for humans. Like, is there such a test? I mean, I know you do <laughs> DNA testing, but in terms of like health and moving forward in in life, like, is there anything we can do to kind of determine what the future looks like for humans? Oh, that's
1: so funny. So if you (laughs) met my husband, you would know that when, when he met me, I still had a lab. So right now... I don't have a lab, I work as a practitioner, I have to outsource to get testing at other places, but when my husband met me, I still had my own lab, yep. so I tested everything on him, <laughs> I was awesome. making sure that he we was picking all the boxes, but there is no, um, right. I know the poor guy, um, and then when I got sick in the pregnancy, I blamed him, I was like, that is your DNA, your <laughs> DNA is killing me, and then I got diagnosed with a thyroid, and he's like, you were blaming me this whole time, and it's you, Oh, that's um, so funny. He's like, He's like, remember you did all the tests. I was fine. He's like, I passed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's 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 such a uh, it's such a difficult area, and that ethically we shouldn't do it. But obviously, I just gave you my example yes. where I had I had the resources, so you exactly, know, as if I'm not, not going to do that exactly. Um, yeah. So from a human perspective. No, but there is. If you're going through fertility treatment, though, you can do genetic screening to look for inherited genetic disease. So, if you, if you were going to a fertility clinic, or you already knew that perhaps you have inherited something that's linked with a, a genetic disease, you could then have um, your sperm or egg checked for that and make sure you don't use the eggs that have got that inherited gene that would link with disease. So, in so with fertility treatment. There is a little bit of that, but there's no kind of test where we can just read through and go, Oh, did, 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 well, yes. I do that. I test, but it's not disease. I'm not looking at disease. I'm looking at, okay, well, you are at risk for celiac disease and autoimmune, or you are at risk for having lower vitamin D, or, you know, you've got this here with Alzheimer's, for example, and, you know, even with my son, and hopefully he. We'll always be okay with it because there's that question of whether you should get your children genetically tested. But when I found out I had APOE, the first thing I did was test my kids yes. um, to find out if they've got the Alzheimer's gene. And thankfully, they've inherited um, the good stuff from their dad. Because I did think, oh my god, if I pass this on. And mm. again, it's not diagnostic. It's like the BRCA one. It's not yep. diagnostic, but you just your heart sinks a little when you know that you're passing something on like that to your children. So just knowing, yeah. Um, but yeah, with the dogs, it's a little bit different and it's funny you mention it because someone probably about five years ago asked me would I be involved in that area and it wasn't something that interested me um, in the sense that I love my dogs. I've got dogs but caught yeah. up in my own my own business and not expanding into that. But there is definitely a big market for that because a lot of dogs have been bred um you know, there's been this, what you want with genetics is diversity. So, for example, your husband is Vietnamese, very good genetic diversity between the two of you. If you were going to pass on some DNA, there would be a real mix in there, which is good. But what happened with a lot of dogs because, you know, particular animals, they want the best of the best. So there's this interbreeding. Mm. And what happened over time is now there are particular breeds that were bred for certain characteristics, but they're now much, much higher risk for genetic diseases, hip dysplasia, all sorts of things, because they don't have the diversity. So these genetic conditions um, are really prominent in certain mm, breeds. Okay, of dogs. I understand. Um, but with Austral- with Australians or humans, not yeah. Australians, <laughs> particularly Australians because we're pretty multicultural. Yeah. Um, but with humans, we are, you know, we're we're sort of. Mixing with everyone these days. So there's that, that risk of genetic disease or rare genetic disease in the sense of, you know, you're inheriting something that, that you're going to have a child that is actually, you know, have a developmental disorder mm. or, you know, brain disorder. Um, or develop some kind of, you know, musculoskeletal disorder. It's a lot rarer in humans than it is in dogs.
0: Okay. But wouldn't it be nice mm-hmm. to size up your partner based on their DNA profile and any future disease that you think they might have? Like- <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's so funny, Vicky. No one has asked me this. And my first... My, my what I want to tell you on the surface is no,
0: we shouldn't do that ethically. It's not right. But as soon as you said it, I was like, well, I kind of did it <laughs> exactly. And for me, it's so right because I'm on a personal mission to live to 120. So I'm super keen to know are there you know, what I can do or what I'm going to be challenged with in the future. <laughs>
1: We should do your DNA and then we can do another podcast and talk about your results All right, if you're let's happy to
0: do that. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. I would love to do that. So just um, one more question. Nutrigenomics, have I pronounced it right? Nutritional genomics, is that right? Yes, yeah, yes. So nutrigenomics, or when I started, you know, back
1: nearly 20 years ago, everyone just called it nutritional genomics. So we're looking at nutrition yep. and your, you know, genetics. Over time, it's branched out into two areas, either nutrigenomics or nutrigenetics. Okay. To be honest, you don't have to get caught up in the terminology, but there is a slight difference. Nutrigenetics is actually more of what I do. I'm testing particular genes, seeing if you've got a variation that could be influenced by diet or lifestyle, and we can tweak. So everything I look at is something that can be modified or compensated with, with diet or lifestyle. There's nothing where we say, oh, you've got that. Bad luck. We say, "All right, we've got this. How do we? How do we? You know, put things in place to make sure this doesn't become a problem for you." Whereas nutrigenomics, technically, is more so almost the epigenetic side of things, and also where your products land because they're coming in and they're actually um, we're not looking at a particular you know slight variation within one gene. You're going in with something like your beautiful shimmery latte and it's getting in there and it's doing all sorts of things through methylation, acetylation, mm. you know, causing all of these, you know, reduction inflammation, having some antioxidant um, mechanisms being triggered, things like that. So that's sort of Nutrigenomics is about how foods or nutrients affects the whole genome and gene mm. expression. Interesting. But for listeners and yourself, don't even worry because okay. the terminology, the only ones that get caught up in that are sometimes the academics. For us, we just want to know... You know, what are our genes doing? How can we fix it through diet? Let's yes. live the best life we can so we feel awesome. Exactly. I'm not really going for 120, but <laughs> I I am, um, you know, you're starting to make me think, well, maybe I should Why even not? be going for 100. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking 100, but now I'm like, you know what? If You can do that. I'm in the area. Why I'm not? for 100 now. Why not? I'm an older mum too. I didn't have my, my little ones only five. I had her at nearly 40, you oh, know, after wow. studying for – so nearly 12 years. Yep. Yeah, kind of almost. And to be honest, Harry, my beautiful boy, if you ever listen to this, you know, was not planned, but a beautiful, a beautiful surprise. Gorgeous. I will admit I freaked out at the time. Yeah. Um, but the best thing that ever happened to me Aww. and my husband, who wasn't my husband at the time, he's now, thank goodness, um, he was... I was 34, I think, and I said to him, "I'm Beautiful. too young, and I'm about to start, you know, the clinic." And he's like, "You're too young." He said, "You're 34, yeah. exactly." I nearly slapped him, but I was like, <laughs> "When did I turn 34?" I was like, "I don't even know. I didn't even. I wasn't even sure I was 34." I mean, <laughs> time just goes so quickly. It does um, so. I'm definitely keen to be around. I've got so much George. to do, and I want to be around for the grand baby.
0: So exactly. we, we, we can ask.
1: I'm going to jump onto your mission as well. Perfect. I love
0: that. So tell us, for someone listening, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way to find you or perhaps book a consult?
1: Yeah, so you can find me just through my name. My website is Dr. Denise Furness. My clinic is actually called, or the business is Your Genes and Nutrition. So it's a virtual clinic now. We're 100% online. I see people from all over. Yes, And I do have a Facebook group called the Your Genes and Nutrition Community. And depending on when this goes out, we are about to run a four-week whole food challenge. But even if that's actually coming up in the next few weeks, but even if you miss that, I'm often doing things in the group. I pop in, I answer questions. Um, We run little masterclasses. So, yeah, come along and join us. It's a free private group.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And our favourite question, what are your top three tips to living a longer, stronger, happier and healthier life?
1: Oh, can I give you four? You know I like to say so many things. Okay, the first one would be to drink clean water, clean water, filtered water. The second one would be to eat whole foods most of the time. doesn't mean all the time you can indulge, but most of the time. The third one would be to move your body, but do not overdo it. Yes. Yes. Overexercising is not the way to go. And then the last one would be to... Try to find a bit of joy, you know, day-to-day, laugh Mm. as much as you can. And I think after the last few years with COVID, uh, we we really need that because really laughter is medicine and that connection with human beings. So they would be my top tips. And believe me, all of those things are good for your DNA, good for your cells, good for your longevity.
0: Absolutely. And listen to you, the vitality in your voice is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) You've been amazing. I I do want to do a follow-up one with you down the track or do my DNA and we'll talk more on that. But thank you so much for your time, Denise. Is there anything else you want to add, anything we've missed?
1: No, and thank you for your amazing products because I am a bit of a coffee-holic and it's yes. not great for triggering the adrenals. so yes. I like to tend into my beetroot latte and if I'm I never have time to make those beautiful smoothie bowls like on the front of the packet oh. but I just whack I whack that into my smoothie in the blender in the morning so I'm getting a bit Perfect. more nutrients. so
0: thank you Perfect. for your beautiful superfood for keeping me healthy and well oh you're so welcome thank you so much Thanks so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on our YouTube channel, One Body, One Life, to see more inspirational videos to help you reach optimal wellness and longevity. But until next time, don't forget, you've got a Nourish to Flourish.